Well, hey, if, uh, if this is your first time to cross point, maybe it's your first time back in a long time, we are in week two of a three-part series on prayer called Closer. And we're doing this series as part of our 21 days of prayer as a church, all in hopes of providing greater clarity and greater understanding on the purposes and practices of prayer. And so last Sunday, Pastor Zach kicked off the series by answering the question, what is prayer? Felt like that'd be a good place to start, right? Get us all on the same page, define prayer. And we learned together from Zach's message that prayer is simply intentional, personal communication with the God of the universe. Intentional, personal communication with the God of the universe. It's communication that's intimate, right? We as people have been invited to call on God as our Father. It's communication that aligns us with God's will for our lives. And it's also communication that forces us to confess and recognize our dependency upon the Lord. I gave you the 30-second version of the message, okay? If you missed last Sunday, you really need to go online and watch it or listen to it to hear all that Zach taught as he defined prayer, okay? But today, we're going to answer a second question, another simple question, but there's a lot to it. And the question is this, why pray? Why pray? I'm curious, have you ever asked that question, why pray? I mean, come on, if what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 8 is true, and it is, that God knows everything we need before we ever ask him, why pray? Why pray? I mean, what's the point? I mean, can't God just give us what we need without us asking? Or what about this? If everything that the Bible teaches about God's sovereignty is true, and it is, that he's in control of all things, ordains all things, determines all things, why pray? Like, what's the point of praying in that scenario? I mean, does our prayer really change anything? Listen, if you've ever asked questions like those, what I want you to see right out of the gate today is this. Asking why pray in response to God's seeing and God's sovereignty, it assumes that the primary purpose of prayer is asking God for stuff. Okay, this is what I would call the list-based approach to prayer. It's similar to what a kid does at Christmas time. You know, he gets out his pen and his piece of paper and he sits down and he goes, okay, what do I want? And he makes his list so that he can either take it to the mall and give it to Santa or at the very least put it in an envelope and mail it to the North Pole, you know, and he sits back and he waits and hopes that he gets what he's asked for. Look, that's how a lot of people treat prayer. Uh, in a book I'm reading right now, and all you got to do is listen to him pray, right? In a book I'm reading right now called Transforming Prayer, it's by a guy named Daniel Henderson, a great resource if you're looking for something to read. Uh, he describes the Wednesday night prayer meeting from the church he grew up in, and I love it. He said, I was convinced growing up that if we took the words bless and be with out of our church's vocabulary, no one would have anything to say. Because literally every prayer, prayer was, oh, well, you know, bless this and be with him and, and bless that and be with her. And the honest truth is we all know what it's like to pray that way, don't we? Which is why I would bet some of us are so discouraged and frustrated in our prayer lives. We have turned prayer into nothing more than, our, than us bringing our list to God. And I don't want you to misunderstand me on this point. Okay, asking God for stuff is part of prayer. We're going to talk about that throughout the message today. It's just not the primary purpose of prayer. And when you make it the primary purpose of prayer, two things happen. Number one, your prayer life tends to be very shallow. Because come on, after you've made it through your list, you have nothing else to talk to God about, right? Well, I made it through that in about 20 seconds. Might as well go do something else. But then secondly, your prayer life tends to be very self-centered, 
If you've ever been around that person that only ever wants to talk about them, you get the idea. List-based prayer is all about you going to God and talking about you and telling him what you need him to do for you. And again, this is not the primary purpose of prayer. And so if that's not the primary purpose, the question becomes, well, what is? Why in the world do we pray? I want to give you an answer. Okay, this is the key point of today's message. So if you're taking notes, write it down. There will be many sub points to come. (laughs) But if you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear this. Why pray? The primary purpose of prayer is practicing the presence of God. Just write it down. We're going to unpack it. The primary purpose of prayer is practicing the presence of God. Okay, Jesus himself touches on this reality in Matthew chapter 6, right before he teaches the Lord's Prayer. His disciples come to him. They want to know how to pray. And so he basically says to them, before I tell you how to pray, let me tell you how not to pray. And he says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like those religious leaders who stand up in the synagogues or on the street corners and pray these flashy, eloquent, lengthy prayers all in hopes of being heard by other people. Jesus tells his disciples, people like that have their reward. And what's their reward? People are impressed. That's all they get. They get nothing from God. They just get the praise of people. And so again, Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray like them, but instead go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what is the reward Jesus is pointing to? The very presence of God. You see, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, they serve as a great reminder and as a great teacher that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, You and I, as sinful people, can now access the presence of God directly. It's unbelievable that anyone, anytime, and anywhere can literally waltz into the presence of God, speak to Him, and the God of the universe bends down in that person's direction and actually listens to what they have to say. It's unbelievable, and you need to know it wasn't always that way. Okay, before the cross, accessing the presence of God like that was impossible, If you wanted to just get close to the presence of God, here's what you had to do. You had to travel all the way to the city of Jerusalem, and you had to go to this physical place called the temple, and you had to bring a series of sacrifices, and you had to go through a priest. And still, that priest you went through could not access the presence of God directly. There was only one guy that could access the presence of God directly. It was the high priest, and he could only access it one day a year, on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. You see, in the temple, there was this thick, heavy curtain that, that cut off what was known as the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, and that's where the presence of God dwelt. It's where the presence of God resided. And before the high priest went into that area on that one day of year, one day a year, according to Leviticus 16, he had to bathe a certain way, uh, he had to wear a certain set of clothes, he had to make certain sacrifices for his sins and the sins of the people. And still his going in was so serious that they would actually tie bells and a rope to this dude. And then they would stand, you can picture, they would stand outside the curtain and they would just listen. And as long as the bells were ringing, they would know, okay, everything's going well in there. He's still alive, he's still breathing, but as soon as those bells quit ringing and they heard the thump, boom, body on the floor, time to pull the rope. Something went wrong and he just died in the presence of God. Listen to me, that curtain in the temple served as a constant reminder 
that it was impossible for sinners like you and me to access the presence of God directly. But praise God today that is no longer the case. Amen? You see, we know from the scriptures that as Jesus Christ was dying upon the cross, that God himself reached down from heaven and he ripped that curtain in two. And he did so from top to bottom, so we would know it was actually him. And that was his way of declaring to us, hey, access is open. You can come to me now. Jesus is the sacrifices to end all sacrifices. He is your high priest. And if you want to get to me, all you need to do is go through him. This is amazing news. And my friends, listen to me. This is why we pray. This is why we pray. We pray first and foremost because we understand what an incredible privilege it is to pray. Right? Prayer costs Jesus everything. The only reason you and I can sit in a moment like this and do what we're doing and speak to God is because of the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. I'll tell you, this is why in my own personal prayer life, I will often start, before I say anything else, by just thanking God for the cross. Thank you that you saved me. I don't ever want to forget that the only reason I can talk to God is because of what Jesus did for me. But secondly, listen, secondly, we pray because we know and understand that the primary purpose of prayer is practicing the presence of God. Or let me say it more simply. Look, we pray not because we need something. We pray because we need someone. You see, prayer is about us entering in to the presence of that someone and communing with him, fellowshipping with him, enjoying him, experiencing him. It's like any other relationship in life, isn't it? I mean, think about this. If the only time I ever talked to my wife, Amber, was when I needed something from her, we'd have a really dysfunctional relationship, wouldn't we? That deserves a loud yes and amen, absolutely. Well, you need to know the same is true with you and God. If the only time you ever talk to God is when you need something from God, you're going to have a very dysfunctional relationship with God, which again is why you have to understand that the primary purpose of prayer is not about you bringing lists, it's about you spending time. And when that's your primary aim and goal, to spend quality time with your Father in heaven, not only does your relationship with God deepen, but His hand begins to open and you start to experience the incredible blessings that God gives to those who seek his presence in prayer. And for the rest of our time together today, what we're going to do is talk about those blessings. I want to give you these blessings. And these blessings will help us to answer in a very practical way the question that we've raised, why pray? Now, before we dive into the list, I want to let you know we're going to take somewhat of a different approach than we normally take here on a Sunday as we open the scriptures uh, if this is your church, you know that what we usually do is we just open the Bible and we walk through it in an expository manner. You know, right now, for example, we're just walking through the book of Genesis together. All 50 chapters, it's going to take us about a year. Have you enjoyed Genesis, by the way? It's been awesome, hasn't it? I have, I've loved teaching through it, so we'll be back in Genesis in a couple of weeks. Uh, but we're not going to do that today, okay? As much as I love that and prefer that, there are times when we need to do something different. What we're going to do today is something called biblical theology, okay? Uh, biblical theology is when you throw a topic onto the table and you ask the question, what does the Bible say about this? And to answer that question, you look across books and you look across passages, all without taking verses out of context, mind you. It's very, very important. 
Biblical theology is not you cherry-picking the Bible to make it say what you want it to say. That's called heresy. Biblical theology is something different, okay? Again, biblical theology is when you use the Bible, the whole thing, to compile in a very systematic way answers to questions on a particular topic. That's what we need to do today. Because the reality is there's not a single passage in the Bible that answers all the question uh, or the entire question, why pray? And so here's my encouragement before we dive in. If you are taking notes, and I'd highly encourage it, especially on a day like today when we're just going to cover a lot of content. Uh, If you're taking notes, jot down these scripture references that I'm going to give you, and then go back later this week and work through them on your own time, okay? You ready? Here we go. Seven reasons. Seven reasons why we practice the presence of God in prayer. I started with 14 reasons. Just want you to know my list is by no means exhaustive, but I realized quickly I don't have time to teach through 14. So I whittled it down to 10. I realized I don't have time to teach through 10. I got it down to 8, and I realized I don't even have time to teach 8. So I taught 7, and I still preach long at 8 o'clock. So just know that, okay? Seven reasons. Seven reasons, and I think these are the reasons that God put on my heart that our church needs the most right now. Seven reasons why we practice the presence of God in prayer. Reason number one. We pray to obey God's word. We pray to obey God's word. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Look, I could give you other verses to, to, to make this point, but what I want you to see is really simple. When you survey the Bible, you start to see very quickly that the call to pray is a command to pray. So in essence, praying is an act of obedience. But like any other act of obedience, what we cannot allow ourselves to do is think of prayer as something we have to do. Come on, y'all know the kind of attitude I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, I grew up in church and felt like this a lot of times, not just with prayer, but with a lot of spiritual disciplines. But in relation to prayer, I can remember thinking, oh, I have to pray. It's my duty and obligation to pray. That's what Christians do. And if I don't pray, God's going to be so disappointed and he's probably going to smite me. Listen, if that's the way you think about prayer, I need you to know today, God was never, or I'm sorry, God never gave prayer uh, to be a duty, but a delight Prayer was never meant to be a burden, but a blessing. It was never meant to be a have to, but a get to. And the whole reason God commands us to pray, listen, is for our good. Okay, I love this quote from John Calvin that puts it in perspective. He says this, for he, talking about God, ordained it, speaking of prayer, not so much for his sake as for ours. Now he wills, as is right, that is due be rendered to him in the recognition that everything men desire and account conducive to their own profit comes from him and in the attestation of this by prayers. Look at this last sentence. But the profit of this sacrifice also by which he is worshipped returns to us. Now what in the world is this old dead guy saying? It's really simple. He just wants us to see that while our prayers do in fact honor God, God did not command us to pray because he needs us to pray. No, God commands us to pray because he knows we need us to pray. Amen? You see, prayer, listen, prayer is for our sake, not his. 
It's for our good, not His. Our benefit, not His. God commands us to pray, not because He wants something from us, but because He wants something for us. We pray to obey God's Word. Reason number two. We pray to give God thanks. We pray to give God thanks. Psalm 106.1, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then Paul says this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and we'll come back to this in, in a moment. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, say this phrase with me, with thanksgiving, come on 945, you can do better than that, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All right, can we have an honest moment together? Aren't there times in life when it's a whole lot easier to be anxious than it is to be grateful? Yeah? Life's beating you up. You're struggling. uh, You're dealing with a season or a moment of pain or hardship. And the last thing you want to do in that moment is praise. The first thing you want to do is panic and get real pessimistic, don't you? God, why is this happening to me? How long am I going to be walking through this? God, am I ever going to make it out of this? That, again, tends to be the default of the human heart. But what I want to remind us of today is this, and this is going to take a little bit of effort for some of you to digest, but just stick with me. Regardless of what you're walking through today, there is always a reason to be thankful. Always. Listen, you can be thankful today for who God is. That he's good, that he's gracious, that he's kind, compassionate, that he loves you and cares for you more deeply than you could ever comprehend, right? That God promises to carry you through whatever life throws at you if you will trust in him. You can be thankful today for all the good gifts you enjoy in life. I mean, James 1.17 tells us that every good gift comes from our Father in heaven. And so whatever good stuff you're enjoying right now, you didn't do that for you, God did that for you, and that's something to be thankful for. But listen, finally, you can also be thankful for what God has done for you in and through his son, Jesus Christ. (laughs) That out of love for you and in mercy toward you, he saved you out of sin, death, and hell forever. And he himself is committed to bringing you to a place where sin, suffering, death, and hardship are no more. And so again, let me say it. I need you to hear it. Despite how bad things might be right now, you still have reason to thank God. And here's Paul's promise. Don't miss this because this is huge. I said we'd come back. Paul's promise is when you spend time thanking God in prayer, the supernatural peace of God begins to invade your life. This is incredible to me. When we pray and we express gratitude, adoration toward the God of the universe, all of a sudden, this incomprehensible, supernatural peace that does not depend on circumstances or what's going on in life begins to invade our lives, and the people around us are left looking at us going, how in the world are you walking through that like that? And you're going, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me either. It's a supernatural peace of God. It grips you, and that peace guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, and it allows you to live in this broken, sinful world with a right perspective. And so I just want to say to you, if you're someone in the room today that needs peace of some kind, listen, don't spend all your time in prayer complaining and freaking out. And I'm not saying to you, don't be honest with God. You should be honest with God. Just don't stop there. 
Spend time thanking God in prayer, and God promises to give you his peace. That's second. We pray to give God thanks. Uh, Number three, we pray to participate in God's work. We pray to participate in God's work. This is probably the uh, most confusing point in the message, the one that's going to require you to lean in just a little bit more, so don't check out on me, okay? All right, I want to go back to the question I raised early on. If God is sovereign, if God is in control, if God determines all things, why pray? Do our prayers really change anything? Well, here's the deal. When you look across scriptures and you examine the Bible, it sure seems so. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples, okay? 2 Kings chapter 20. We find the story of a king named Hezekiah. He's sick. He's getting ready to die. And so the prophet Isaiah comes to him and he says, Uh, Hey, dude, got some really bad news. God told me to tell you to get your house in order. You're going to die tomorrow. It's not the kind of news you want to hear from a friend, right? (laughs) And so what does Hezekiah do? He prays. He prays. The Bible actually says that he weeps bitterly. And he just calls out to the Lord and goes, God, would you just remember me? Remember how I've walked before you. Remember my faithfulness to you. Well, before Isaiah can get out the door, God comes back to him and says, hey, Isaiah, whoa, whoa, stop. I want you to go back and talk to Hezekiah again. Tell him that I heard his prayer, and instead of him dying tomorrow, I'm going to heal him and add 15 years to his life. So it it seems that something changed. I'll give you another example. Exodus 32. Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he's meeting with God. The nation of Israel, they're at the bottom of the mountain waiting on Moses to come down. Well, they get tired of waiting. It's been a long time. And so they decide, we're going to build a golden calf. This was an idol. All right, we're going to create this object, and we're going to worship it in the place of God that just delivered us from slavery in Egypt. Well, God sees what's going on at the bottom of the mountain, and he gets very angry, rightfully so. And he says to Moses, Get out of my way. I'm going down there to consume those stiff-necked people. And what does Moses do? He prays. He prays. Instead of getting out of the way, he stands in the way and he goes, Whoa, God, you can't do that. God, you can't consume those people. What are the Egyptians going to say about you if you bring your people into the middle of the desert and kill them? And in addition, God... Just remember the promises you made to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, you you can't do this. And what does God do? How does he respond? He relents. Okay, Moses, I won't kill him. I'll let him keep living. Thanks for praying. So again, it seems, listen, it seems something changed. Now, the big question that stories like that raise is this. Did God change? Did God change? In response to their prayers, did God change his mind? Did he change his plan of action? The simple answer, the surface answer, the quick answer is no, God didn't change. There's something going on much deeper here. To suggest that God changes, the Bible teaches that he never changes, to suggest that he did in this moment is to imply that God changed his mind, he he made a wrong decision, and he needed a course correct, and that would mean God's not God any longer. God didn't change. What God did was this. He allowed these two men to participate in work through prayer that he had already ordained to do. You see, it's so critical that you get this. The Bible teaches that God not only ordains the outcome of all things, 
he also ordains the means to those outcomes. And what is the means? It's prayer. God has ordained prayer, in other words, as his means to accomplish his work in our world. And so in the cases of of Hezekiah, in the cases of the nation of Israel, listen, before the foundation of the world, God ordained to heal him. God ordained to save them. But he also ordained the prayers of Hezekiah and Moses to accomplish that healing, saving work. Therefore, he allowed these men to participate in his work in our world. It's pretty fascinating. And if that's confusing to you, I told you this one's a little confusing. Some of you are looking at me through squinty eyes. Let me just say it as simply as I can, okay? Listen, there are things that God is determined to do in your life and in our world. He's determined to heal. He's determined to save. He's determined to deliver. He's determined to provide. But listen, God will not do those things until we pray. I love how Pastor Sam Storms puts this. He says, we must never presume God will grant us apart from prayer what he has ordained to grant us only by means of prayer. What is Sam saying? He's just saying what I'm saying. That God has ordained prayer as his means of accomplishing his work in our world. And when we pray, we get to participate in that work. And look, by participating, guess what happens? Things change. God doesn't change. We change and things change. And so I would say to you, if you're desperate for change, pray. Pray and participate in the work of God. Next, number four, we pray to find help in our time of need. We pray to find help in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the writer of Hebrews is teaching here that when Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, that he was tempted by sin and tested by hardship in every way. Okay, the devil attacked him. He had close friends abandon him, uh, lost loved ones unexpectedly to death. He had family members write him off as a crazy person. He suffered everything we suffer, felt everything we feel, yet he felt it and suffered it without sin. Listen, this is why we can go to Jesus when we're struggling or we're walking through pain and hardship and first off be understood. And I love to know that when I pray in in times of struggle, I'm not talking to a God who says back to me, oh, James, I'm so sorry, bro. I have no idea how that feels. Oh, my gosh, I hate that you're going through that, dude. Sounds terrible. Hope it ends quickly. No, instead, when I go to that God, that God says back to me, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, bro. I know exactly what that feels like because I've worn your shoes and I've walked on in your skin and, and I've experienced life in the same way that you're experiencing life. And shouldn't that give us such a great confidence to call on the Lord when we need help? But listen, secondly, we also pray based on Hebrews chapter four because we know that Jesus is able to offer us what we need in our times of desperation. Right? Think about this. Because he walked the earth and overcame sin and temptation in every way, Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, is able to give us the mercy and the grace and the strength we need to overcome. And so I just want to say to you today, if you're, if you're here in the room, you showed up and you're struggling, if you feel weak today, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a really good thing. Why? 
Because the Bible teaches us that we have a God who's attracted to weakness. I mean, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that it's when we are at our weakest that the power of Christ rests upon us. And so if you feel weak today, you're in a really, really good place in life. And if you'll just go to God in all of your weakness and ask for help, God promises to give you the help you need. Next, number five, we pray to overcome temptation. We pray to overcome temptation. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. Okay, took his disciples with him, and then uh, three of his guys, basically his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, he took a little bit further into the garden, and he said to them, guys, I need you to stay here with me. Just keep watch. I need you close right now. And Jesus went just a little further, and he fell on his face, and he started praying. Uh, this moment of sorrow for Jesus, so sorrowful, the Bible says, that he was literally sweating drops of blood as he was considering what we would face a short time later in, in laying his life down at the cross for us. Well, Jesus prays for a little while. You remember what happens next? He goes back to Peter, James, and John, and what are they doing? <laughs> They're sleeping. And I can just imagine him going, ah, are you kidding me? You know, Guys, come on, wake up. I just asked you if you'd stay. Can you not stay awake for one hour is what Jesus said. And then he makes this really interesting statement in Matthew 26, 41. Guys, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Come on, a lot of us in the room know how that feels, don't we? <laughs> to have a willing spirit, but a weak flesh. All right, I want to live a life that honors God. I want to get this right. I want to glorify Him and make much of Him. But there's this other part of me called my flesh that, that makes me want to do some really dumb, awful, horrible, sinful stuff. We all know what that feels like. Well, according to what Jesus says to His disciples, listen, the key to overcoming that temptation is prayer. It's prayer. And I would encourage you today to pray against temptation in two ways. Number one, Pray proactively. Pray proactively. What I mean by that is really, really simple. <laughs> Don't wait to pray against temptation until temptation is upon you. Okay, the truth is every single one of us in this room knows what we're tempted by, don't we? Lust, anger, greed, deceit, power, pride. The list goes on and on. Well, instead of waiting to pray against that thing until you're struggling with it, Pray before you're struggling with it. And ask the Holy Spirit of God to give you power to overcome it long before it shows up on your doorstep. Pray proactively. But then second, I would tell you, pray reactively. <laughs> pray reactively. So in other words, when that temptation shows up on your doorstep, and it will because it always does, pray again. Pray again. And as you pray, listen, get really honest with the Lord. Okay, God, here's my situation. There's this thing that I, I don't want to do, but then I kind of still want to do it, and I think I might do it if you don't show up right now and give me the power and strength I need to say no to it. That's how you pray against temptation in the moment. And you need to know today, your enemy, the devil, will do anything in his power to stop you from praying like that. You'll hear him say things like this. Hey, uh, you don't need to pray right now. You're stronger than that. Or you got what it takes. You can overcome that on your own. Or he'll say things like this. This is my story. Um, hey, that thing you want to do, my gosh, you should be so ashamed of yourself. God doesn't want to hear from people like you that want to do stuff like that. 
The last thing you should do in a moment like this is pray. Just give in. And so instead of doing the one thing we should do in a moment of temptation, cry out to the Lord. The next thing you know is you're doing that thing that you didn't want to do, but you kind of wanted to do. And so instead of praying and thanking God for victory, you're then praying and asking God for forgiveness. And can I just tell you, there is no need for that. Prayer is the way you overcome temptation. And so, my friends, my encouragement is get on your knees and fight. And as you get on your knees and fight, the Holy Spirit of God will give you what you need to put your sin to death. We pray to overcome. Number six, a couple more points. Number six, we pray to receive what we don't have. We pray to receive what we don't have. James, the brother of Jesus, he touches on this in James chapter 4. Uh, he's writing to a group of Christians in the city of Jerusalem who keep wavering back and forth between worldliness and godliness. They just can't decide who they want to live for. Today it's God, tomorrow it's the world. Today it's God, tomorrow it's the world. <laughs> and so James writes and he says this in chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, listen, you do not have because you do not ask. And then he takes it a step further. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Come on, this is preacher talk if I ever heard it. He writes to these people and he goes, can I tell you what's wrong with you? Can I just tell you what your biggest problem is in life right now? Your problem is you have all these corrupt desires in you. And instead of just like dealing with those things and putting them to death, you're fighting with one another and you're ready to kill each other because there are things you want and you don't have those things. And can I tell you why, don't, why you don't have those things? Because you're not asking for God for them in prayer. And then he says, I pointed this out, and when you do ask God for them in prayer, you're asking for all the wrong reasons. So he's not giving it to you. The simple point James is making is this. And if you're jotting notes, you might want to write this phrase down. James is showing us here that there are things God wants to give us, but his giving is dependent upon our asking. Let me say it again. There are things God wants to give us, but his giving is dependent upon our asking. Now, that does not mean that if you want something from God, all you need to do is ask and he'll give. God, I would love a million dollars right now. Um, I would love a bigger house and a nicer car and kids that actually obey and listen to me like... This is not how it works. James is just teaching, look, that there is provision God wants to pour out in your life, provision that is good for you and glorifying to him, but God will not pour out that provision until you ask and ask for the right reasons. Why is that? Well, one of the answers goes back to what I touched on just a little while ago, that God has ordained prayer as his means to accomplish his work in our world and that includes provision. God wants to give you things. Things that you are working tirelessly for and getting so frustrated over. <laughs> God wants to give you things. He's just waiting on you to ask for it. So ask. But then secondly, listen. Secondly, God wants us to ask because our asking is our confession of dependency upon him. Uh, many of you know that I have a seven-year-old daughter at home named Rowan. She is awesome. Uh, this girl is famous for needing help with things, yet instead of asking, she just melts down and loses her mind. 
Like seriously, I'll be in the same room with her and she's trying to get something or fix something or do something and all I will hear is, and right, she's just melting down. And as her dad, I can see what she needs. And if I wanted to, I could just jump in and, and do it for her or get it for her, but I refuse to do that. Instead, what I do is I sit back and I go, Rowan, what do you need? Rowan, hey, calm down. Look at me in the face. Tell your daddy, what do you need? Use your words and, and say what you need. Why do I do that to her? Because saying what she needs is good for her. Keeps her humble. It reminds her that she is dependent upon me as her father. But listen to me. It also forces her to recognize that there is someone in the room who loves her deeply that can help if she would just ask. And can I tell you today, the same is true when it comes to you and God. Could God meet all your needs without you asking? Of course he could. But he wants you to ask because asking is good for you. It keeps you humble, and it reminds you of just how dependent on him you truly are, but it also forces you to recognize that the God of the universe is your good father who loves you deeply, has what you need, and wants to give it to you if you would just ask. We pray to receive what we don't have. Final point, then we'll be done. I told you I was going to preach long. You guys still okay out there? Okay, good. I, hey, I had 14. All right, I'm only doing seven, so. <laughs> Number seven. We pray to produce spiritual fruit. We pray to produce spiritual fruit. In John chapter 15, Jesus calls himself the true vine. And he compares us as people to branches. And in this illustration that he's using, he says there are two type of branches. There are dead branches that produce no fruit. Those branches are thrown into the fire, burned up, wasted away. Then there are alive branches that produce fruit, and those branches are pruned so that in the future they will produce more fruit. And Jesus' point is simply this. Hey, if you want to be an alive branch that produces fruit, abide in me. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. Just like a branch has to stay connected to a vine to bear physical fruit, if you want to bear spiritual fruit, you have to remain in me, abide in me, the true vine to pull that off. Why is that? Well, Jesus makes himself very clear later in the passage when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. So in other words, you and I as people cannot produce spiritual fruit on our own. And what is spiritual fruit? Well, according to what the scripture teaches, I would define spiritual fruit as good works that glorify God and change the world around us. But I would also define it as the fruit Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? Again, you cannot produce that fruit on your own by your effort. You can try and you can fake it. And you can produce some stuff that kind of looks like spiritual fruit. But the fruit you produce on your own, it's the equivalent of that plastic stuff people put in baskets on their dining room table for decoration. You know what I'm talking about? It's all waxy and nasty. Like, that's your fruit. True spiritual fruit is only produced in you and through you by the Holy Spirit of God. And that production depends entirely upon your abiding in Christ. And one of the primary ways you abide in Christ is by, is by prayer. So if you want God to use you 
to change you, to produce fruit in you. You have to pray and allow the Holy Spirit of God to use your prayer life to transform you more into the image and likeness of your Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So, with those seven reasons on the table, the very simple question I want to close with is this. Why do you need to pray today? Why do you need to pray today? We all have a reason to pray, as we just heard. And so what is your reason Uh, Do you need to pray to obey the word of God? Do you need to pray to give God thanks? Do you need to pray to participate in his work, to find help in your current time of need? Do you need to pray against temptation? Do you need some type of provision? Do you need to pray and just ask the Lord, hey, produce fruit in me. Produce, I I just want to be more like Jesus. Produce fruit in me. Um, Maybe for some of us, listen, maybe the only reason we need to pray is because we just need to spend time in the presence of God. Why do you need to pray? Whatever your answer is, we're going to do it together right now, okay? So all over the room, I would just encourage you, bow heads, close eyes. Uh, I do this quite often on our first Thursdays, and I just have felt impressed to do it right now. And so if you want to take on a different posture in prayer, I want to invite you to do that. Um, Maybe right now you're just like itching in your seat, and you're like, man, I just feel like I need to get on my knees Get on your knees. You can bow right there at your chair, or if you feel led, man, just get out of your seat and and come down here to the front of this room. Just say excuse me and push past people and come down to the front of this room and just kneel in the presence of the Lord. Uh, If you're someone who needs to ask God for peace today or provision today or strength today, whatever it may be, maybe you just want to open your hands before the Lord as if you're receiving something from Him. And you just pray and you go, God, would you... Give me what you've promised to give me when I seek your presence in prayer. And so right now, just whatever you need to pray for, whatever you need to pray about, just do it. Thank God for your ability to talk to him. Thank God that he hears you because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you for his presence, his love. And just talk to him about what you need. Just be honest. want to say to you as a people that we are desperate for you. You know, we are weak. We are dependent. God, we know that the only reason we have breath in our lungs and blood pumping through our veins right now is because of you. The only reason we're alive is because you thought of us. And God, we're here before you just saying we need you. God, we need more of your presence. We need more of your power, more of your provision in our lives. And God, I just pray for brothers and sisters, God, all across this room right now, on knees with hands open, praying right now, God, that you would just show up in their lives in ways that only you can.
God, my greatest prayer for us as a people right now, God, give us a greater hunger for your presence. That's what we want. God, we want to experience you and know you in deeper ways. We want to enjoy you more than we do right now. And so, God, would you just keep pouring out all of who you are onto us as your people? God, we need you. We desperately need you. And we want you, God. Thank you for loving us so deeply. God, we lift all of our praise, all of our prayers up to you in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And all God's people said, amen.